Welcome to the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine. UX introduces a simple formula for personal and business growth based around one principle. We can't solve big, valuable problems alone. Starting with this principle, UX equips and empowers us to pour ourselves into people and systems, scale authentically, and create a life of exponential freedom and impact. And now, let's get started with the latest episode of the UX Podcast. Hey, what's up, Rockstars? It's Matt Johnson back with a special conversation. Max Trailer is back on the show. Max is one of my favorite people. Uh, he's a client. We run his show, Beers with Max. He was featured on the UX podcast last year. Uh, that's actually how we were introduced, and we struck up a conversation kind of outside of that podcast episode, and Max ended up being a client, kind of a perfect example of uh, why podcasting is the new networking. Um, but in this particular episode, we we really dive into... Uh, what is the way to kind of squeeze the most uh, impact and profit out of the stuff that's between your ears, right, while having the least restrictions on our freedom? So Max's perspective on that is that you package, productize, sell, and leverage, and I love his approach. So here's a few things that we talked about. We talked about the two types of people who are selling knowledge, how to turn expertise into value, and what is at the core of the value of a business, right? If we understand what the core of the value is that a business brings to the world, then we can understand how do you price it, how do you package it, how do you productize it, how do you sell and leverage it, right? So if you don't know Max, he's a B2B marketing advisor, he's a coach and author of the Content Marketer's Blueprint. You can check him out at maxtrailer.com or go listen to his podcast, Beers with Max, which is a blast. Uh, he gets to talk to some of the top sales and marketing experts uh, and especially high-level sales consultants all over the country. Uh, he's had really, really awesome people like David Baker on his show, the, the author of The Business of Expertise, which is one of my favorite and most highly recommended books to uh, other experts, uh, like expert businesses and influencers, because I think he's, uh, he's a genius. So Max has had him on the show. Make sure to check out that episode. But for now, let's dive into the conversation with Max Trailer on how to package, productize, sell, and leverage our expertise. If you want to record it on... That's, that's the official start of Beers with Max. <laughs> you, crack, you crack a beer and you get a little sound. Yeah, yeah. This is a mango... A mango lassie, I think it's pronounced. Okay. Is that a, is it wheat beer? Kind of like a Belgian? Uh, no. It's, you know, my wife loves sours. Uh-huh. Uh, so I made the mistake of getting only sours on this particular run. Uh, and this tastes like garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Sour IPA garbage. But it's got a really cool uh, logo to it mm -hmm. and you know i should have known when it set out sour ipa yeah uh but now we're stuck with it so. that's right well see this is a good example of great design influencing yeah. decision making you know what it leaves a sour taste in my mouth just like the lack of focus in the sales and marketing professional services that's industry. right that's what we like <laughs> to call in the biz a segue <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking about that because I got your, I got a recent email from you because I'm on that list now. Thank you. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, which I do appreciate. I'm not being sarcastic. Oh, good. Because you interviewed somebody that had this amazing success story because, oh, I don't know. They picked something to focus on. Like at what point are people going to wake up and, and say like, you know, oh, I'm not getting enough customers. Here's a question. What does your best customer look like? And then people say something ambiguous like, oh, B2B companies. It's like, great. What, 
<laughs> That's not the real question. The real question is not how do I get more customers? Mm -hmm. The real question is how do I find the people that are going to pay me the most for my knowledge? I agree and disagree. And it's just because I read this statement here the other day in Donald Miller's book, Story Brand, which is amazing. Um, he said something along the lines of this, and I might butcher the quote, but I'll throw it out to you anyway. Um, the day you stop being obsessed about getting more clients or customers and the day you start getting obsessed with their success is the day your business radically changes. So I, I, I agree. I think you just take it one step further and figure out not just who, the, who are the ideal clients who will pay you, but get obsessed with getting them results. Let me clarify. <laughs> without, without focus, more clients just buries you, especially the smaller your organization is. Individuals who say, I want more clients, if they haven't mastered their process, if they don't understand what clients are good and more importantly, what clients are bad for them, the simple act of going out and selling things and basically selling their time will almost ensure that their business stalls out. Mm -hmm. I completely agree that people need to crack the code of getting business consistently, having a surplus of opportunities in the pipeline, both to charge more and start building uh, strategic relationships with others and, um, and, and pushing opportunities to others in their network. But the thing that needs to happen first is they need to maximize their own business process. They need to sell, they need to focus on what they're selling, the tactical area, sell one thing, not some magical combination of 15 different business practices that you can mm -hmm. only be marginally good at either one of them. Pick what you are most, uh, pick what you are, pick what you can do to provide the most value and then find the people that get the most value out of it. Once you understand that, then get as many of those people as possible. Yes. And if, it's funny because once you know that stuff, those people are a lot easier to find because there's these little things called, I mean, everything from LinkedIn to actual list brokers. Like if you want to go back to direct mail, like if you know who you're looking for, it's not actually that hard to find them. But when you don't know who you're looking for, it's impossible to find them. Like you could be drowning in a sea of them and you wouldn't know it. Um, this might actually be a good direction to take this conversation. So riddle me this. Um, if we could nail down, because I have a loose name for it, um, but I'm not, I'm not quite settled on it, but I'll call it like the value generation system, right? So in other words, how are you as the service provider, how have you decided that you're going to bring value to the market? Like what's, what's the problem you solve? Who do you solve it for? Who's the most valuable slice of that market you could solve it for that where, where most of your profit lives and what are you going to do for them that actually solves a big valuable problem? So I kind of have like this kind of loose, I guess, structure in terms of how to lay the foundation because everything else stems from that. If you don't have those two or three or four things really dialed in, it just makes everything else exponentially more difficult. If the more you have them dialed in, the easier everything else gets. So I think all the hard work that people avoid, and I know I avoided it, um, all that hard work is kind of on that front end. Uh, but the more we do it, the, the easier everything else gets. So I'd love to talk through that and just get your opinions on what kind of what comes first, um, what comes next, yeah. you know, and kind of work out like a little, little bit of a rough structure of how people can find how do I best turn my expertise into value? Man, that's like, that's like the question of the cosmos. I, the problem <laughs> with it is everyone's going to say, 
wow, Matt, that's really insightful. I need to develop a statement that says what I contribute and who I contribute it to. But here's the problem. Everyone, and you nailed this in your previous interview, it, it's fear of uh, missing out okay. on all of these opportunities. Yeah. So people will come up with these statements, but they are in no way as focused uh, or as granular as they should be. They'll say things like, I help B2B companies. And the only problem with that, or I help, I help B2B companies with marketing. And the only problem with that is there are tens of thousands of other organizations that look exactly like you, uh, which makes a client go, yeah, I've heard that, uh, get in line, or these guys are going to charge half what you're charging, what can you do for me? There's nothing unique about it. Yeah. If you're not, I think at the end of the day, you have to be unique. And if you're not yeah. unique, like what I mean by unique is you're the only one doing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. David Baker calls that like, the, how, how replaceable are you? Yeah. How replaceable are you? you know? And so if you do something truly unique, you are, you cannot be replaced because there's no one else that has your system. Uh, and a lot of it's packaging. Like okay. people, people are like, well, you know, I, I do, they think they do the same thing as other people. I'm talking about really intelligent, really experienced people that maybe uh, go through a particular process for a particular industry or industry vertical. And they don't recognize that they've, what they do naturally every day is a system. Yeah. They haven't branded it. Yeah. They haven't documented it. And they haven't used it to differentiate themselves from everybody else. They're stuck there saying, well, I do marketing for manufacturing companies. And then you'll look at some other people that go, well, I have the Manumark. You know, it's trademarked. It's got a name. It's got a brand. They've branded their process. And by doing that, you cannot be replaced. No one else has the Manumark uh, marketing blueprint for manufacturing companies. And I'm talking about, uh, I'm talking about an agency I know in uh, Nova Scotia that I interviewed uh, not too long ago. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that didn't really answer your question, but I think that's the problem. The yeah, I, I agree. First, I think you've got to have knowledge. Mm -hmm. If you don't have knowledge, go learn something. You know, mm -hmm. that, that you're in a situation where sure, take on clients, figure out what you're good at, uh, until and, and you know, let your successes and passions lead you down until you really can decide this is what I want to do. Uh, something happened to me where I was able to get an entrepreneur in the marketing space to spend six months with his family in Africa while doubling his profits. And I had always known that I was more passionate about helping single entrepreneurs than large companies. But it was that event that said, okay, what I that said, you know, I, I want to be doing this. Um, mm -hmm. So it wouldn't happen without experimentation. But I think the first thing that needs to happen is you have to have expertise. You have to have something that you're confident in, that you're passionate about. Uh, my confidence and passion comes from my childhood when my dad would work from home and I always got to hang out with him. And he said, digital, scalable, residual business models. I was three years old. I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. But it was the reason that he was home and able to raise me and not go to work from nine to five and never see me because he had a mantra. He had a way of looking at business. Is that, that a was, real story? That's a real story. That actually happened to you? You're young enough that your dad was, was spouting off about digital, scalable, <laughs> reproducible business models at three years residual. old? Residual. Yeah, right. So that's my product strategy. My product strategy is wow. the digital, scalable, residual knowledge, product, strategy. The name can use work. But DSR, digital, scalable, residual is something that will never leave me. And I would go into his office and I would ask him, where do you make the money? Until he realized that I actually thought he was making money in 
inside the walls of his office, like printing it. <laughs> okay. And that was the day I learned that you can't print money. Right. That's it's not a fortunate day for us all. I thought that was happening. Okay. <laughs> uh, because yet, so, um, so that's the, that's the way I looked at it. So that, that passion, uh, I accidentally did that in the marketing space. I created a strategy product that was licensable and I truly made money while I was sleeping. I licensed it to people. And when people used it out in uh, Australia, I remember because I put a little jingle on my email, the emails I was getting from PayPal. And so people across the world were selling my intellectual property that I had licensed to them. And I would get $1,000 every time they did it. And it would wake me up with a little cha-ching on my little email on the phone. And I'd go, oh, and I'd open my phone. And it, it didn't result in getting the team together you know, cobbling a bunch of uh, millennials with, with their own schedules and they're on Facebook and saying, great, we're going to onboard this new client. No, it was a green button that said, send this to Bank of America. And then I'd go back to sleep. <laughs> and okay. it's life changing. And now I, I'm, I'm work from home. I got a golden retriever. I got a wife. I got a kid. And, you know, for better or for worse, the one thing that I wanted to accomplish in life has been accomplished. I have a kid and I'm at home uh, because because of these, uh, the ability to sell knowledge uh, and, and adopt a business model that might be complementary to the services model. That's fine. I get that. I still provide services to people. Yeah. Um, but we have the opportunity today, perhaps more so than ever before, to package, productize, and sell and really leverage our intellectual property uh, to provide something truly unique to people. Yeah, 100% agreed. And once uh, you have that, the second question is, to whom will this be most valuable? Yes, that is a great question. Uh, I want to back up just for a second uh, because I, I see a lot out there and I was just having a conversation with somebody about this the other day. Um, there's a lot out there and I think it appeals to a certain archetype and that's a whole other discussion, but I think it appeals to a certain type of person. Let's put it that way. The idea that the difference between those that are wildly successful and those that are not is just the ones that are wildly successful have somewhat stepped into their power, their real self, their authentic self. There would a lot, lots of self-actualization talk as if that was the difference. And there's an element of truth to that for sure. Um, but at the end of the day, what other people find valuable is not us stepping into our power. It's not us stepping up in our confidence. It's not us stepping out in faith. It's not any of those things. What other people find valuable is when we solve a unique, rare, valuable problem for them. And that takes real expertise. And that's what I love about David Baker's approach is it starts with rare and valuable skills and insight, like the real mechanics of how actual real problems are solved. And I think there's a lot of coaches and consultants out there that they have good content, but it doesn't, that like information is not what pre, like prevents most people from becoming successful. And like just knowledge alone, like we live in the era of podcasting where almost any bit of knowledge you want is free. Like if you want to go find it, if knowledge was what prevented people from being successful, that we would have solved that problem in 2006 when podcasts dropped or whatever. So I think there's a lot of misconception out there about what actually gets people's results um, and real expertise, really rare and valuable skills is kind of where all this stuff starts from. And part of it for like us, for like coaches and consultants is we have to realize that part of our rare and valuable skill set has to be actually leading people to get results, not just telling them and giving them the knowledge because that's usually not the problem. 
So that's I had that, that was just a quick thought on that. I don't know what your experience has been with that, but you you have some very you have a very deep, intense, thoughtful look about you right now. Yeah, because as you as you talk, I, I'm thinking of like multiple things to say, and then we move on to something else. But my reaction is that uh, yes, we have a surplus of knowledge. What's missing is making it actionable. Mm. Uh, you know, and in, in when I t- I talk about strategy a lot as uh, the way to make knowledge actionable. The, people can't just purchase your knowledge. Uh, at least I don't believe in that. Uh, people purchase a plan that turns your knowledge into action for them. Yeah, uh, customized so, insight, strategic. Yeah, insight. It, it's, yeah. And it's, oft, it's often a combination of the client's context and your knowledge. That's what, that's what I see as strategy. Like a strategy must include the client's particular situation or who they're trying to sell to, plus your knowledge or your intellectual property, the process that you've created. Um, so that, again, you know, I say that a lot, but that is where I think the big opportunity for people with expertise, um, and by expertise, I, I almost mean experience, which I love, uh, comes out of David Baker's book, the way he breaks down experience and expertise as a matter of pattern recognition. Yes. So the more consistent your experiences are, the more focused you are, the more you begin to pick up in terms of pattern recognition. And there's two types of people selling knowledge. And he, he talks about it, there's a right way and there's a wrong way, or there's a, uh, a good way and a bad way, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is when a client pays you to go figure something out. Like if I, was, if I was hired to create a marketing strategy for a manufacturing company, I'd have to go figure stuff out and they'd be paying me to go figure it out. Yes. On the contrary, if I had been working as a marketing strategist in the manufacturing space for the past 10 years, they would be purchasing access to my knowledge. Yeah. That's the big difference. Yeah. And David Baker calls that, I love how he phrases it, if I remember right, it's something along the lines of if you, if all you do is sell to new types of clients and you have to figure out new problems all the time, you're essentially getting them to subsidize your artistic and creative itch. Like you're getting clients to pay you to scratch your own creative itch, which I thought, wow, that is a huge indictment of people that, uh, that bounce around from one type of client to the other. But he's totally right. Mm-hmm. Totally right. You know what something goes, it flies under the radar is the amount of anxiety uh, that comes from not knowing what you're doing. I mean, we as entrepreneurs have mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, well, first of all, we need to make money to support our families as single entrepreneurs or small business owners. So we make it work. Uh, and we're naturally confident individuals, else we wouldn't be doing our own thing. So we find ourselves in these situations and performing under the pressure when confronted with a totally different situation. We just make it work. But there's an undue amount of anxiety and fear when you're putting together a strategy and you don't really know what you're talking about. You don't really know if this is the way that buyers are behaving. Um, yeah. and, and it causes a lot of stress versus the situation where you walk in and you go, this is this is what I eat, sleep, and breathe. I would stick by these recommendations any day of the week. And your client, as a human being, will pick up on that. And I think in a lot of cases, uh, when you're doing something that you're not 100% confident in, not 100%, even though you might get paid for it, the client will pick up on that lack of confidence and you will eventually lose control of that relationship. Right, yeah. Fear, fear is an interesting thing. We got fear of missing out. Fear of missing, fear of missing creative expression in our work. 
And then, yeah, then when we get that, when we get the creative fulfillment of working with different types of clients, we get the fear on the other side that the expertise we're selling is actually not proven. Mm. It's not tested and tried by fire. It's self, self-conscious. And, and what that results in a lot of times uh, when people are doing these strategies, they'll call them, uh, is they put so much time and effort to try and compensate for their lack of confidence. Okay. They'll add things that they shouldn't. They'll do a competitive analysis that was never a part of the initial scope, but they'll do it because they're paranoid the client won't see value in what they've put together. Okay. So you'll talk to people that have put 40, 50 hours into a strategy that should have taken them five, six, seven hours if they knew what they were doing. If they had previous experience uh, putting together those things, they would know what to look for ahead of time. They would would naturally react without thinking. Mm -hmm. Uh, They'd have templates and things that they knew worked. And when it comes to other pieces that could be added on, they would have those priced and packaged separately like a competitive analysis in the case of someone that's afraid, they'll add that in without even talking to their client because they want to impress them versus somebody that really has this stuff packaged and would go back and say, look, I've heard a couple things during our conversation that tells me we really need to do a competitive analysis. I'm worried that if we don't do that, XYZ is going to happen. You get paid an extra $3,000 and you can feed your family without you know working twice as much. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of kind of expertise based businesses like like in entrepreneurs, especially solopreneurs that 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 is not even on the radar as the goal of how it should work. And I don't know quite why that is. I, I don't I don't know why I I kind of I, I kind of started out I guess with an advantage in the sense that I came out of an agency that had a proven process and everything was documented and templated out to the yin yang because they were you know they were paying employees 10 to 15 bucks an hour to execute a system that someone that was far superior at marketing came up with. And then they sold that marketing plan over and over and over and over again to the same type of person that benefits from the plan. So I like, I was steeped in that culture. Like, so when I came out of it, like I just gravitated towards that automatically. I essentially rubber stamped the, the, if not the business plan, definitely that approach. And so I, I, I started building systems right away, not just because I'm drawn to that naturally, but just because that was the business that I emulated. Um, but I don't think like most service providers don't think that way. They think people are buying access to their brain as if they're solving a new problem from, from scratch every time, as opposed to getting results. Cause that it's, it's just, it's a different process. Solving a new problem on the cutting edge of an industry is very different from applying expertise to solve a problem that you already know how to solve. And like most people think they're doing brain surgery with their, when they're actually a pharmacist. If you remember like the, the, the breakdown of, um, uh, I think David Maester kind of broke that out into like brain surgeon, psychotherapist, nurse, and a pharmacist. Like when things are really, really dialed in, all you need is somebody to dispense the pill. There's lots of people dispensing pills that think they're brain surgeons, but they're actually just, they're actually just kind of dispensing pills and hoping they kind of hit the target. Um, so it's interesting to see. I don't think people are really even shooting for the right thing. They're not shooting for that process of, okay, I'm applying my expertise to solve a problem I already know how to solve, and they're buying access to the solution I've already created, along with maybe some customization to their specific circumstance. Because that, that, that's a very, very powerful insight. Yeah. It's good. I got too much I got too much stuff in my head to actually respond to that. So I what's know, the next thing we're talking about? <laughs> One thing that I'll attempt to say about that. 
We'll, we'll cut out all the in-between stuff. <laughs> I believe people are addicted to thinking that they're the only ones that can do what they do. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. So I don't know why that really is. Confident, when you get a really confident entrepreneur and they get a, they get a nice LinkedIn recommendation, like, Max Trailer is the, you know, is the greatest. He's our guy. It, make, it makes someone like me or any, any entrepreneur think that, well, I need to sell more of me because I'm magical. But it's not actually you that is, uh, is causing the, is solving the problem uh, or is valuable. It's the process that your brain goes through to process the information we're getting from clients, their situation, turn that into actionable recommendations. And there's a formula inside everyone's head that if extracted, you can really remove yourself from the valuable process, the intellectual property. But I don't think many entrepreneurs want to do it. I don't think they want to think that way. Why, why remove yourself? Hmm. So they become addicted yes. to the, the very thing that makes them a slave to their own uh, clients. Yeah, my, my, my coach calls it spotlight addiction. Right, there's a name for it. Your coach yeah. would say that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, so he equates it to being the lead singer of a rock band. And I think that's yeah. how a lot of entrepreneurs see themselves yeah. is, well, first of all, they see themselves as a solo artist that doesn't need a band. Maybe, maybe they get to the point where they think, okay, maybe I need a backup band, but nobody will know their name. Then, okay, maybe we get to like Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band where the E Street Band gets to have a name and maybe people know <laughs> some of them, and maybe they go back up some other artists, but really it's still about me. But nobody thinks of building a band in terms of, I wanna build an act that can go out there and perform that actually doesn't need me, because then that relegates me to just being a manager and who the hell knows who a rock band's manager is. I think that's- it's a it's, formula, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but if we wanna build like a successful business, it's the exact, yeah, that's exactly what we have to do. We have to think like the manager and not the lead singer. It's a hard mental shift. I wrote down a word because I was at a, a Vistage meeting yesterday and I didn't know how to answer a question. I was, I was stopped in my tracks by it. It was a buyer of marketing services, not a, not a marketing company themselves, but a buyer, a, a company owner that would be in the market to prof uh, purchase professional marketing services. And he said, under the context of me arguing that uh, implementation is going to bury people and you should be productizing your knowledge and selling strategy versus implementation. And this is where the whole market's going. This is where the opportunity is. I know I sound like a broken record, but that's the context. He said, uh, Max, is implementation, and what he meant by implementation, I believe what he meant is marketing, an art. And I've had time to think about it. So hmm. Mike, do you have an opinion on that? And if not, I'll share what I've been able to come up with after sleeping on it. Uh, you know, to an extent, yes, but it's, I would say it's more science than art. And, but I definitely think there's an element where he's right, where in the implementation, you learn specific tactical adjustments that might need to be made. And it is better, maybe even best to have someone overseeing the implementation who can draw out and tease out those tactical lessons and apply them correctly to the impl implementation so it gets the results of what the, the strategy says it should get. And I know this partially because I watch a lot of real estate teams go into different markets. They use the exact same lead generation strategy that worked in one market. They go from San Diego to LA and all of a sudden, oh, 
Google ads don't work the same in LA as they did in San Diego. All the other demographic markers might be the same, but for some reason just doesn't work. Right. So I do think there is, there is the sense that when you go to implement, there are, there are times when it just doesn't follow what the strategy says should happen. And there is an art form to reading kind of the tea leaves, so to speak, and making those tactical on the fly adjustments in your implementation to get the results that the strategy says it's supposed to get. So ideally you'd have that person there. You may have to come back to the strategy person or the strategy person oversees the implementation or something like that. To me, that's the best of both worlds is when the person who's in charge of strategy, you don't necessarily have to do the implementation, but you come back and you revisit so that you make sure the implementation is getting the results you're saying it's supposed to get. Hmm. What was your, what was your first, after you had time to think about it? What, well, I, I agree with what you said. And you know, like, like I said, I've had time to prepare my answer. So it's not, it's not very, so it's not, I agree with everything. It's not stunned silence like it was in the Vistage meeting. Yeah. Like I was like, <laughs> I don't, I have to get back to you on that. I'm not, I, I don't want to go on record yet, but I started hmm. thinking, I was like, okay, what is art? Art is subjective. Uh, art is meant to uh, create an emotional response. Mm. And a science is objective. It's, it's a experiment uh, meant to achieve a measurable result. And so I think, okay, when technology started to give us data about marketing, when marketing started to become measurable, we, we sort of intuitively know that it's been shifting from an art to a science. And I believe what happened when it shifted from an art to a science is the value, the real value of marketing shifted from the painter, the artist, to the creator of experiments. Hmm. Somebody that said, I think this is the most valuable experiment. I think this should be the result. Here's the directions for you guys to follow. And when we get the conclusion of our experiment, here's what we're going to do. That really is a, a way of describing the strategist role or the leadership role in a marketing department. Someone that designs experiments uh, to learn something and to achieve a specific result. And I, I do believe that I, I would go, since, since I always feel like I need to be opinionated, that uh, <laughs> implementation is not an art. It doesn't matter the emotion uh, necessarily the emotion that's invoked, uh, that, that comes out of looking at uh, a completed piece of marketing material. What matters is, does it achieve the result that it needs to? Yeah. Uh, in a practical example, because everyone talks about landing pages, you look at a landing page and go, wow, I really love this. You know, I trust this brand. That's not the way it works. You yeah. put a video here, you put a button here, because we know that conversion rates increase when you do it that way. It's a science. You, yeah. Implementer, follow our directions. I get it. You're passionate about it. You've got an art degree. I don't fucking care. Don't put the button over there. It converts better over there. <laughs> yeah. You're a follower of directions. Yes. But with gained experience and with the, you know, with the pattern recognition, you can start to become the designer of experiments and say, uh, wait, Mr. Strategist, I don't think we've thought of this other thing that could be happening. And all of a sudden you're contributing to the strategic value of the organization to learning something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like, um, like ans answering the real question. I don't think the real question was, is it really it, literally an art form is more like, you know, do you have to make adjustments and things like that? Yeah. So you're answering kind of the, I think the what real he was question. asking, who should I pay? 
Yeah, exactly. That's what people want to know. Look, yeah. there's agencies out there. They can, uh, they can hire an expensive marketing manager. They can hire full-time marketers. They can have a full-time marketing uh, CMO that employs a band of freelancers. Mm-hmm. They can have a third-party fractional CMO or, or marketing leader that works with agencies and freelancers. It's not one option anymore. It's dozens mm-hmm. of options. So the question is, what do you want to hold close to your chest? At the end of the day, if all of your people vanished, what do you want to be left with? And my argument is that you need to be left with a strategy, a documented thing that says, in order to accomplish this, here's what we're going to do. But also the documentation of the results of experiments saying, this is what we've done in the past. These were the results. So that when someone new comes in, because we're in a different world now, people don't stay at their jobs for 40 years. So when there's that changing of the guard and you pass over a little packet, what's contained in that packet? Mm -hmm. And it should be, here's what we've tried. Here's where the results, here's our strategy. So good luck, take over the wheel, but make sure what you do is documented so we don't start over. See way too many people starting over. They switch agencies, the new agency or whoever goes, all right, well, you know, what do your buyers want? We go interview your buyers. And it makes me sick to my stomach because people are just wasting, they're just bleeding yeah. knowledge. Well, that's what happens when you work with 17 different industries or specialize in 17, quote, unquote, specialize in 17 different industries. Yeah, it starts with that because you don't know the buyer persona yourself. You don't know the market. And so you have to go out there and figure it out from scratch. You're getting, you're getting them to pay you to do your homework that you should already know. Yeah. And in the, in the past, you know, the argument for bringing people in-house was a retention of talent. Mm-hmm. It doesn't oh, happen we want, anymore. We want the people in here because marketing is so important that we want, mm-hmm. we want the people that know how to do this for us to stay here. The only problem is you can't make people stay anymore. No, and that, that's what's really good. Like what, what you said about what, if everybody left, if all your people vanished and what would you be left with? You know, it's, man, that's so good. Because um, as a company, like it, I'm not talking about if I was selling marketing, if I was just selling any kind of expertise, no. could be technical, could be manufacturing, I could be selling a product. But no. yeah, at the end of the day, if I'm Nike, the, the things that I want if everybody leaves is I want the intellectual property of, what, of, of, my, of my brand, mm-hmm. what we've tried, what's worked and what's not worked, the aspirational identity of the brand we've created, and the, the R&D to marketing and selling the product process that we've developed that works, that then I can just hire people to plug right back into that same system I've already developed. Like That's the unique process that makes a company like Nike what it is. It's just the combination of R&D, marketing, and sales. And you know what? That's a business evaluation. If you're talking to somebody that's evaluating your business for selling it, which is the goal for a lot of these entrepreneurs, and I get the argument all the time, no, no, I need to build a big agency so I can sell it. Guess what? The value of your company is not the money, the revenue that comes in the door on a monthly basis. It's not. It has so much more to do with the process, the intellectual property, that asset, that irreplaceable asset. Uh, so what you just described as what, what is left when everyone goes away, that is really what drives the value of a business. And I don't, I don't think, I think people are, I don't know. I don't know, but that's what it is. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. And, and this is, uh, I love this conversation cause it's bringing out stuff that, um, 
I mean, it doesn't come naturally to us. We, we, we've had to struggle with the concepts and read a lot and listen to people that are a lot smarter than we are to kind of arrive at these things. Um, I wish I had stumbled across this information and some of the people that we talk about and look up to 10, 15 years ago. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing catch up as I'm sure you feel like you are to people like David Baker that have had this stuff figured out for 15, 20 years, maybe longer. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is the stuff that, um, that makes or breaks a business. The one thing that I look at these guys and say, why are you asked this before? What, what makes them so successful? Uh, I do believe it's focus. Mm-hmm. I, I think that any entrepreneur has something inside them uh, that is going to make them successful at whatever they focus on. But the thing that kills us all is a lack of focus. That is a natural recipe for not accomplishing anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I look at David Baker. How long has he been uh, consulting with agencies and figuring out the problem? Mm-hmm. An awful long time. He doesn't get distracted with you know, big software companies or manufacturing companies coming to him and saying, hey, David, can you, can you help me with my, you know, my marketing problem and my manufacturing company? No, because he knows that the most valuable use of his time, his biggest return on effort uh, is to maintain this focus. Yeah. And that's why people are sought after and can charge premiums and uh, make more money in less time. Digital, scalable, residual uh, business models. Love it. Well, with that, that seems like a good place to, uh, to wrap things up. Um, so uh, so let's, uh, let's share real quick how people can, uh, can connect with each of us since we're and using this conversation on both of our shows. Yeah, maxtrailer.com. M-A-X-T-R-A-Y-L-O-R. There's a little button that says talk to Max. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how you do it. Yeah. Similar for me, pursuingresults.com. There's buttons everywhere for scheduling a brainstorm call. Uh, specifically, my one area of focus is podcasting and new media. So yeah, there's, uh, yeah. there's a couple. The, 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 the easiest thing, like we, we are extremely focused. We do one thing, we do it extremely well, and that's produce podcasts. And that is, that is it. I can attest to that mini, mini, mini testimonial. Maddie, more for the <laughs> good. <laughs> oh man, you're a trip. This is a fun conversation. Hey, Rockstars, thank you so much. I appreciate you investing your time, your effort, your energy into the show. I don't take that lightly. I so appreciate uh, you all listening and the feedback that I get from those of you who listen and engage with the show, uh, whether you agree or disagree with the things we talk about. I love hearing from you, so please reach out. And if you are in the audience and you're a business coach, a consultant, or you're in creative services, and you're thinking about using you know, guest appearances on podcasts and interviews to boost your business, grow your brand, build more influence, and attract ideal clients, or maybe you're watching other people in your space do that, and you're wondering if this strategy will work for you and how to make that work, uh, I did a special training with a client, Dana Malstaff, uh, who runs the Boss Mom Podcast. We produce her show. And we did a training all about that. And it's called How to Get Featured on the Right Podcast and get your ideal clients flocking to you. And a few of the things that we covered in that training, it's, it's short, it's content packed, it's only about 35 minutes long. And we talked about how to get featured on podcasts in less than two hours a week, how to find the exact right podcast for you and make friends with those podcast hosts, how to become micro famous so you're known, liked and trusted in your space and really how to, uh, how to craft a story hook uh, that really gets the attention of podcast hosts and gets them to say yes when you reach out and pitch yourself as a guest. 
And so we talk about all that and a bunch more in that training. So it's available at howtogetfeatured.com. That's howtogetfeatured.com. Pop your information in there. It's free and you get it in you know instant access to watch. You don't have to wait for a follow-up email. You don't have to wait for a fake webinar that's not actually live. None of that. It's a recorded training. You get instant access. So go check it out. I'd appreciate it. And I've said it before on previous episodes. This is my number one marketing strategy for myself for 2019. And I learned a lot of these things in the process of building the system for myself and my staff to pitch me as a expert guest on podcasts. And whenever somebody, whether it's one of my own clients or my friends and peers and colleagues in the space that we all run in, it's my number one recommendation for them too, to grow their brand, build their influence and attract ideal clients. So if that's you and you want more of that, go check that out. That's at howtogetfeatured.com. Thanks again so much. And we'll see you on the next episode of the UX podcast.